back to the 30 Years of Play podcast. I'm George Osborne, your host, and we're back this week with another episode looking at the making of one of the best British video games, frankly, of all time. But what's going to be our focus this week? Well, this game started out life quite a long time ago, and somehow it's still going strong. Last month, it's actually managed to win itself its first ever BAFTA. And, well, if this game were a human, it'd be able to treat itself to a pint down the local because it's that old, quite frankly. So which game are we taking a look at? Well, let's take a look and find out. RuneScape started life at the turn of the millennium. The fantasy free-to-play MMORPG initially kicked off its beta way back in January 2001 and, well, quite frankly, it hasn't looked back since. The title has established itself as an ever-present in the online gaming landscape. Over 200 million people worldwide have activated RuneScape accounts and in the past year alone, over 5 million people have downloaded old-school RuneScape, the title that walked away with EE's Mobile Game Award at the BAFTAs in April 2019. But how has RuneScape kept itself relevant over such an extended period of time? How has Jagex, its maker, evolved to keep up with the changing times and the changing nature of games that service? And how has it gone from being what the industry calls a live game to what the company calls a living game, where the community turns out in force for major fan events and also raise money for good causes? I chatted to Mark Ogilvie and Dave Osborne from Jagex to get under the skin of the biggest thing to come out of Cambridge, well, since the university. So, uh, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Before we get started, uh, a nice, easy question for both of you. Can you tell us who you are, what you do, and who you work for? My name is Mark Ogilvie, and I work for Jagex, and we make the amazing game RuneScape. Uh, (laughs) My job title is Design Director, which basically means I get to oversee the development of the brand across multiple products. So how we use our lore and characters in all the different RuneScape games that we make. And hello, I'm, I'm Dave Osborne. I'm lead designer on RuneScape at Jagex. Um, so I'm the one who has to take all of Mark's feedback and implement it. But I'm also kind of responsible for the quality of the RuneScape game. Um, so the quality of storytelling, um, what we make, the updates we produce, etc. Fantastic. So um, one of the big questions that I keep asking lots and lots of different people when they come on the podcast is simply about how they got into the industry. Because... There are so many fascinating routes into it. I mean, last week um, we ran our hashtag my first games job hashtag on social media and we got thousands and thousands of responses. So I'd be really interested to hear both of your stories about how you got into making games. Yeah, uh, well, to be fair, I started as a journalist. So um, I was a games journalist and music journalist. Um, and at that point, I had I kind of thought that games kind of coalesced on a cartridge or a floppy disk at the time, like 15 years ago. Didn't even consider the thought of entering the games industry. Um, but then, they were, you know, RuneScape was looking to improve the quality of its English language, its output. Um, so I came in as an editor and um, made sure the quality of the English was good, right? And um, <laughs> added semicolons, that kind of thing. And then just through belligerence and persistence on giving narrative feedback and eventually became a designer, mm-hmm. narrative designer, and then lead. Indeed. Um, I've had uh, an interesting journey into the industry. So I've uh, been a board game fan all my life, um, avid role player, 
and found myself writing um, various different, uh, you know, scenarios and adventures um, and also start modifying board games. Um, and I ended up getting uh, published in, in uh, the Games Workshop magazine and then weirdly happened to be at a local pub one day in my games group and there was a chap from TSR, from uh, Dungeons & Dragons, that was looking to hire someone um, to sort of help out with the things that they were doing um, and I got a job. So weirdly, TSR's European outpost was in a village just outside of Cambridge and uh, yeah, that was my first job in the games industry, helping to organise um, Gen Con, which was the gaming convention of the time, and also getting involved with um, schools competitions, teaching kids how to role play, um, and then ended up getting involved in a very small amount of design work um, for some crazy expansions that were going on in the collectible dice uh, market, which was a kind of weird attempt to do something a little bit different from what Wizards of the Coast were doing. Doing with Magic the Gathering at the time. Uh, and then we decided to start our own company doing um, live action role playing. So taking people and dressing up and, you know, doing Lord of the Rings for real. Uh, and, uh, you know, nothing's changed really. <laughs> We're still doing that now uh, with things like Runefest. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I actually got a little bit disillusioned by the games industry for a while um and started doing some much more normal uh sensible things like selling oil and uh, publishing and marketing oil. yeah yeah did a bit of that for a while selling a uh, tanker loads of oil to, <laughs> to in, independent petrol stations which is a weird thing to do um and then i saw a job in a paper for um runescape um, starting there in customer support um, and I just you know wanted to get back into the games industry and I was very lucky I joined the right company right place right time very very green company didn't really um, do a lot of things to do with design documentation or you know how to test a product properly or how to market it um, because you know we didn't really do any of those things back in the day um, so I got an opportunity to flex my muscles here and was made head of content and then lead designer and then later design director. The old industry of Dodge that you can always get business done down the pub. You know, that, that seems to be, I'm, I'm very positive about that because that, that's one of the key things I've learned so far from this podcast. But um, I mean, if, if we're going to sort of like take a step back, um, I mean, one of the things that's remarkable about RuneScape is just how long it's been around. You know, if you go and check the Fountain of Knowledge, aka Wikipedia, uh, January 2001 is way back when RuneScape managed to get itself started. So, you know, as a starting point, what were your memories and experiences of, of being involved in the creation of RuneScape from the early days? I know that you've been involved in the company for slightly different lengths of time, but you've both done a, a pretty good stint on, on the game. And I'd be interested to hear how it was when you first got involved with it. So I joined in 2003, um, and as I said earlier, it was a very, very green company. It was basically a bunch of um, developers who were making a game purely for the love of that game. Um, when when it first started, the very um, the Gower brothers very much wanted to have a product that they could play wherever they were in the world, um, and not to have too much of a you know download time uh, that they didn't need to carry discs around with them or anything like that. They were massive uh, mud fans, and it, it was weird. It didn't really feel like a professional company. It just felt like a bunch of gamers making games for like minded people. Um, it was a really um, 
welcoming atmosphere as well. It's very strange to me because I'd just come from a kind of quite cutthroat world of um, of um, selling oil <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, publishing and things like that. Um, and it didn't feel like a job for a long time. It just felt like we were doing something that we loved. Um, and it, it's an incredible feeling, like... Um, when all of those skills that you've had in life suddenly come together in this glorious way where, um, you know, all of the things and all the lessons that I'd picked up from publishing and from games and from uh, TSR were suddenly relevant in a way I weren't, wasn't really expecting them to be. Um, so everyone was trying to learn from everybody else. And obviously at the head, we had, a, you know, a, a genius code writer and a phenomenal um, storyteller which meant that we were given the opportunity to to, to sort of plow our own creativity um, in a really unbri unbridled way into the game um, yeah I've, I've never been in such a sort of creative welcoming environment um, that just just wanted to do fun things it's an incredible time yeah I, I'm to be fair this was my first my first job let alone first job in the games industry so I had kind of, it could have gone either end of the scale. I was wondering whether or not it would be kind of call center and there'll be somebody handing me a job on a piece of paper to do that day. Um, or whether or not I'd go the other, completely the other way and be truly bohemian, sit around campfires, telling stories and what have you. Um, and well, what I loved about it was, yeah, genuinely a lot of things were happening down the pub. <laughs> it was uh, kind of, yeah, yeah it was, uh, what I loved about it was it was um, so democratic, I guess. I wasn't expecting that. Like, I thought that you'd have, you know, you'd have one chance for your good idea. So you'd go, you know, you'd go to the Gowers or you go to your manager and you'd have one chance to get it right. And if you got it right, then fantastic. But otherwise, they wouldn't listen to you again. But no, it was just it, because it was a little bit independent. Yeah. Because everybody was mucking in. The people were gathering around, round ideas, round projects. Um, it just felt like, wait a minute, I'm a journalist coming to a game and they're interested in what I'm saying okay all right i've got an opportunity here and you know um opportunity to be creative tell the stories you want to tell um so it was a great place to be oh, it still is an odd thing about the early days was the fact that everything we did was handmade and everything we used was handmade so the scripting language we used yeah, it was all the sort of back-end systems for customer support um the um map editor tools that the artist used they were all things that andrew had made as as the sort of needs came about really yeah and then you got um, the flip of that as well which was sometimes you just you know, didn't know how to do something yeah. so you were sellotaping things together getting a yeah. plasticine to kind of try to get it to work so um, like um our uh, qa uh, our bug management tool for example was um a bunch of post-it notes and uh, little <laughs> library cards stuck to a cork board on the wall. Um, so when you found a bug, you would go and put something up on the cork board and then developers would walk past after getting a coffee and notice there were a couple of bugs that had appeared in their code. You know, none of that was digital in the early days. It was just shoving notes on 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 a wall and yeah. um you know a lot of our early documentation a lot of our early design briefs were literally just written on the back of a um coaster from a pub we'd had an idea down at the pub and we'd <laughs> pack write them down yeah. and that yeah. was as close <laughs> as we ever got to any kind of design documentation in the early days we still find it uh, yeah it's true we, we kind of Faded gone full pencil. circle i think in many ways <laughs> like uh i found some stuff from like 2010 which was like 
like a 60 page design document and now we might work on one or two pages yeah. um, at most uh so it's it's odd that it's kind of come full circle but yeah those early days were so i mean you talk about entrepreneurial spirit it was really that um the fact that you know we had thousands and thousands of players playing the game was almost like a side thought like the number the size of the audience that we had was was something Couldn't that pass it yeah, yeah the big numbers and yeah that um you know uh, we had a little sort of church roof style thermometer on the wall, which was about all these different sales targets that we had. Um, bearing in mind that we weren't marketing, we didn't really have a sales team. Um, these were all just things that were sort of organically, naturally happening. Um, and it was sort of every 25,000 new members, or it started as just sort of a few thousand. But then, um, you know suddenly the game became hugely popular we got a deal with mini clips about um being on the on their front page and we were hitting just thousands and thousands of people every single week and these targets that we had that were two three months away we were suddenly hitting every other day so the church roof thermometer had to go pretty quickly when we'd achieved like a year's worth of targets in a month um there was a guy who started with us uh, i think this is around sort of 2005 2006 maybe um and he mentioned to me that uh he hadn't worked a full week since starting for the company every single week we were going away on a jolly we were you know flying people to new york or we were um uh you know going and riding quad bikes down uh, you know oh, having all these big having all these big uh <laughs> you know parties um and that that meant that yeah he'd only done a four four day week at most for the two months that he'd worked there um but again you know all of this was without um marketing and really selling uh, again it's just gamers making games for gamers and uh, andrew always said that we just got lucky that the thing that we liked was also the stuff that they liked as well it's, it's really interesting as well that you're, you're saying a lot of that um because if you look at the rest of the industry um at the time i think runescape was really standing out you know having a game that was sort of so service oriented and having something that was online and free to play and everything like that you know we take it for granted now that so many games have this kind of games as a service live game approach but yet back at the time that must not have been the case so i mean how did it compare as well to you know when you were looking at that experience at the time and being in jagex and working on runescape how was that comparing more widely with what was going on within the rest of the industry? You know, what were your experiences of talking to other people in, in the sector about their experiences making games? Um, that's a very interesting question. I think one of the things about what we were doing in the early days, it was quite insular. We did stuff with Jagex people. We didn't do a lot of industry events. Um, and a lot of the um, people that we were getting in, we were hiring, were straight out of university. Yeah. We weren't hiring people with lots of industry experience. So we were still sort of doing things in our own way. We weren't talking to a lot of other companies about what they were doing. So I can't give you my experiences uh, um, it's sort of in a professional way um, at the time because we were... Yeah, we we often regarded ourselves as like the industry's best kept secret because yeah. we didn't market. We weren't out there doing 
um you know gdcs and presentations and things like that we were very um happy with what we were doing and i think because of that entrepreneurial spirit of building everything ourselves and all the tools that we were using um coming internally um yeah we didn't have a lot of exposure no, as to what I, everybody I, else was we're doing aware of your everquest ultimas yeah calls all of these things but um i think you're, you're smack on we were weirdly insular and i think a lot of that was because it made so much sense our players were very vocal yeah we were constantly in touch with our players they were demanding you know a certain cadence of stuff they just wanted they were just consuming consuming i want more quests i want yeah. more skills to train that kind of thing and and we were because the building blocks of our game of runescape are quite simple we could yeah. put something together and then get it out the door in two months time one month time yeah um, so we had that kind of feedback loop. We were just satisfying people and getting the reward of seeing them enjoy it. Mm. And we just wanted to keep that engine going. We were loving that. Um, and it never occurred to us to stop, <laughs> take a moment, and actually look at what the rest of the industry was doing. Yeah. Um, it may well be that we, you know, we may have influenced some other kind of um, living game, game service um, games, but we were so insular and so um you know indoctrinated by our own content I mean, that we cer- were doing it. certainly for me at the time the focus in the industry seemed to be about the console market and the console market was much more about lovingly crafted solo experiences uh, a lot of the games that were really um getting a lot of traction there like early rpgs and things like that um on the console market were things that we were going home and playing but we weren't really thinking about um we, we never saw RuneScape as like a triple A um, high graphics experience. It was always something that was, you know, um, experienced in a different way to other games. We've always considered RuneScape to be quite a laid back experience. Even RuneScape being the game that I also play at the same time. Lots of our yeah. players will have RuneScape open in a window somewhere and then be doing other things at the same time. Um, and so... Uh, everything else that was going on at the industry when RuneScape was suddenly getting so big was kind of irrelevant for us because we didn't really see it as being stuff that we needed to do. We weren't even really thinking about what our competitors were in the early days. Uh, And I think so much of that was because there were points in our history where we actually had more players than we knew what to do with we couldn't build servers fast enough to accommodate for the sort of extra interest that there was in us at the time so there was almost no time to breathe in and think about what everybody else is doing because we you know we had more than enough work on our hands just catering for the people that we did have yeah and i think speaking about catering for those people and, and catering for those players I mean, how did you actually go about practically doing that? Because you were mentioning these handmade systems that you started out with that allowed you to deal with the particular problems you had at a particular moment in time. But, you know, like you say, there's suddenly this moment where an enormous glut of players come in. You're starting to manage a huge player base that is, you know, ultimately sort of enormous at that particular moment in time. They have all sorts of requests and they have all all of these kind of things. Like in terms of the evolution of RuneScape, you know, if if you look over sort of a bit of a potted history, um, even if you're just looking at what's happening in sort of like the 2000s you have multiple versions of the game you know it goes to runescape 2 by 2003 you've got the fact that it starts expanding into different languages you know german french brazilian portuguese versions you've got things like the upgraded engines i mean how did you make a decision about what you were needing at a particular moment in time and how as well 
did the rhythm of that decision making compare with the rhythm through which you're making decisions nowadays because you know one of these things about and one of the key points about games as a service or live games as well is about this kind of regular content update this regular drumbeat of getting things out i mean how are they differing between the way you were upgrading the game throughout the, the 2000s to the way you're upgrading it today well <laughs> that's a big question um so one of the things that I would say um, that has always guided us is um, the relationship that we're able to build up with our players. Now, in the early days, when we didn't have our own forums and things like that, um, we would actually go onto fan websites and answer their queries directly. We had enough um, time and energy to be able to almost try and deal with our players on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And, then, and once we started getting massive we couldn't do that anymore it was impossible to do that and we actually became quite scared of dealing with players on a one-on-one -on -one basis because you could only deal with one out of ten thousand rather than one out of a hundred that you were doing in the early days so we didn't want to be seen to be being a favoritist or anything like that um the other thing is that um in the in the early days people didn't really have a job title because everyone was doing lots of everything you know those of us that started uh, in customer support at the beginning would have to build our own computers and build our own desks or if there was something you needed to do um you know in terms of a news post then somebody would write it there wasn't the idea of well that's their job they need to be doing that and the bigger we got the more requirement there was to have departments and job titles and managers and proper you know professional um <laughs> company things we didn't have those things in the beginning so um and with that came um much more structure um the good thing was that the freedom the creativity that the games developers were able to, to uh, that have always had was kind of protected that was sacrosanct there wasn't so much layering of um, expectations and work schedules when it came to making content for the game but we started to implement those things when it, we were talking about systems or you know billing systems back-end management those kind of tools that weren't um, that the players didn't see in the game those things had a lot more structure um, and organization um, added around them and that was a real testing time for the company um, because it wasn't something that we were particularly used to and I think I wouldn't be doing Andrew a disservice to say he didn't really like that kind of stuff it was the it was the necessary evil of getting things done because we were so much bigger and there were so many more eyeballs on us um but that um structure was kept away from the games development teams um we still had this you know uh our main motivations were to make sure there was shiny content every single month that um we considered our release schedule in exactly the same way as our players considered whether they wanted to spend their um subscription money that month so we were all motivated around making sure that the guy at home um, could justify the few dollars that he was going to spend on membership that month by making sure there was a dungeon and a quest and new objects and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it was still quite freeform um, that that uh, the, the creativity and the development side of things, um, even though we were laying on all of these um, you know systems about how things should be done properly.
Yeah, I mean, I mean I've been quite close to the creative process for a while, but um, when I first arrived, it felt like there was, you know, there was lots of people who owned a certain part of the game. You got the you got the elf guy, you got the you got the penguin um nancy who did the penguins and you know you got all these people who own the little chunk of the game continent and they wanted to produce stuff in that area um and the and the motivation was delighting the players at that point it was i want to produce something that's going to surprise and delight yeah and so they'll be building out their little pocket of the game um as we went on it became clear like people only understood little little portions of the game Mm. um and um as the player base aged they also got more of an interest in game design more of an interest in getting involved in the workings of runescape so that was when we started kind of flexing and bringing in players um at one point we had an initiative called green labs which was effectively kind of a reddit for um game design ideas for the players and players would upvote or downvote and we'd moderate and the best ideas would theoretically rise to the top so at that point we, we started folding in player ideas into our release schedule and then the tension really was how do you get enjoyment as a creator when a lot of it is being done by your player base and what do you do um if the ideas that you're getting from your player base are of a certain category or or not not necessarily what you're looking for for all the game content because obviously the the audience weren't interested in things like tutorialization or monetization and that kind of thing so then that was that tension and then we learned up to the present day really that we wanted to be more strategic like a lot of the things i've just talked about were quite ad hoc we just kind of there were just ideas that were just flowing into the game and now now it's more about knowing what the players can give us with their ideas knowing what the team can creatively produce but then tying that all together more strategically with you know what you'd expect really from modern game which is um a release schedule a release plan uh, moving the narrative in a certain direction um you know moving engagement in a certain direction so we just feel a bit more joined up so um, what we're trying to do is make sure we haven't lost that creativity, that little spark that obviously came in the previous iterations of RingScape. I think that the thing that um, <clears throat> we're both talking about there in terms of player engagement, the when when we when we hit that massive bubble where we were getting so many customers, we didn't know what to do with them, and we had that fear of dealing with people on a one-on-one basis. Um, that was it was really interesting around sort of 2010 2011 where really we started asking the question well why why was it necessary for us to do that um with all the social media tools that we have now we can interact and and work with our community just like we did in the really really early days where the, you know we bring them on as developers where they can you know i always say it's like you know giving the keys to the car to someone else and them deciding where you're going to go um deciding as a company that we wanted to you know um, welcome our players back with open arms and 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 working with them um you know at, not as um customers but as co-creatives that really um changed the way we felt as a company and actually the whole kind of um journey that we've gone over the last 10 years about um embracing runescape as a living game and you know giving empowering the players and bringing runescape out into something greater than the digital product the live events and things like that that we do that was all a reaction to that one moment where we said why can't we start working with our players like we did in the early days why are we so scared of um you know uh working on a a, a, in a one-on-one way with these players and you know that has then resulted in getting more people into the office and um, not only having them testing our products before they go live but also being brave enough to say do you know what they've identified something that we missed 
we've got to dramatically rethink the way that we're doing things um uh and and be brave enough to change the release schedules because of it as well um a lot of that is is the reaction to yeah that one moment where we said what you know why are we so scared because mm. we never were in the early days is only a rea- only a reaction to becoming so big can you be massive and still give your players um this feeling of um togetherness um and i and i think we have um it's been a great thing yeah and i i think as well one of the ways that's been really interesting to see the way in which you've engaged that community and like you, you were saying stepping beyond being a live game to being a living game is through RuneFest which started in 2010 and which is essentially one big jamboree each year where you manage to bring all of your fans together into what is essentially um, a recreation of the game that happens to be in say an aircraft hangar in Farnborough or down yeah. in Battersea. Um, can you talk to me a little bit though about why RuneFest started what you were trying to do with it and, and how it sits in with what Jagex is doing with RuneScape today. So it just came from a random conversation, really, um, as as many RuneScape things often do, where we, we, we were having a lot of parties and we were asking the question, well, why can, can we invite the players? Can we party with the players? Is there something we can do to celebrate RuneScape that we can do with the most important people to us, the people at the other end of the of, of the internet cable? Um, and I had noticed that we've gone to a few smaller events um, and the passion and the dedication that our players had, the impact that it had on the members of staff that they were meeting, the fact that you could come back to the office and picture the people that you were making the game for, um, it's an incredibly powerful thing. You know, the internet, as we all know, can be a dark place sometimes. I always say um, for every hundred negative pieces of feedback that you get, if you get one piece of positive feedback, that's a great, um, that's a great, uh, um, uh, proportion uh, i guess yeah. yeah proportion to have <laughs> because if people love your content they're playing it they're not writing about how much they don't like it um and uh that can be quite a heavy thing for developers to deal with that kind of online pressure that you have but when you meet someone for real and they tell you about how runescape has changed their life they show you their kids that they wouldn't have had if it hadn't have been for room for uh, for runescape that changes the way that you think about your customers as a developer and it actually makes your content much better so it was this combination of wanting to be able to party with our players and celebrate runescape but also give the developers the opportunity to meet their public um, it was quite an important thing for us. Um, and we started putting together this really crazy plan of of RuneFest. And actually, uh, I think about six weeks to go, we were super nervous because we'd never done anything like this. Whilst a few of us had a bit of event organizing experience, we had no real idea who we were going to be meeting or whether they were going to like the stuff that that we thought they were going to like so actually with about six weeks to go we refunded everybody's money the the <laughs> 700 odd people that had said they wanted to come to Roomfest, mark gerhard our ceo at the time um said um uh well um you know let's just give them back their money and we'll run the whole event at a loss. Um, I mean, no RuneFest ever makes money. It's never something that you do for profit. It's it's uh, 
it's um, a frivolous. <laughs> um, but the you know, like I said at the beginning, the knock-on uh, impact that you get from running an event like that is is fantastic. So yeah, six weeks ago we gave everyone their money back, and um, you know, ten a oh, sorry eight a.m. on the Saturday, and we're thinking, oh my god, what's it going to be like? We open the doors, and there's a queue of four hundred people all outside, wizards. all, all dressed up, <laughs> all and and all of the people, all of the shops that were um, where the event site was, were all like, why is there this massive queue here? We we had we hadn't thought like how we're going to manage a queue of four. 400 people uh, at a site um, and they absolutely loved it you know we the, the opening ceremony kind of thing that we did um, which was me interviewing the original creators of the game um, about the early days um, they started talking about cabbages because we have this weird thing in RuneScape about cabbages and a guy stood up in the audience and walked towards the stage with this box in his hand and we're all like oh my god what's going on like the end of is, it, is it a bomb <laughs> he had a sort what's of evil box? dark look in his <laughs> eyes and we're like oh my god what's going to happen all of us on stage absolutely froze and he bowed and he presented this box to Paul Gower and Paul opened it up and there was a cabbage inside oh, and he kind of those. held the cabbage up like it was this holy artifact and everybody started cheering and crying and uh, uh it was like i can't the goosebumps on my arm just telling <laughs> you this story um it, and, and we knew at that moment that we'd uh we'd got it right um and yeah they they absolutely loved it it was it yeah. was it was That's great become bigger than us now because like uh, the priority for Reinfest for me is really the players get to meet each other yeah like i mean we could sit here saying how players were just a forum avatar before and now it's great to see faces and things like that but now it's become a moment where they have parties the day before the day after yeah and they just meet up with friends form communities um and they've been doing this for the best part of you know some of them for 15 years yeah 18 years and they're a real close group and runefest is the moment they get to see each other there's loads of uh, charity work which has come off the back of runefest yeah. and players sort of getting together and doing loads of stuff for charity and um yeah the fact that it's a social catalyst and it brings people together. Um, the players, they get the opportunity to experience um, odd elements of RuneScape in a real life uh, setting, like running around looking for penguins. Mm. And then you have the kind of um, conferency side of, um, yeah, you know, keynotes, uh, and keynote speeches things. and learning about what's going to be coming out in the future. And then there's a gaming room which has just got you know 200 pcs of people who want to play runescape together yeah uh, we do like this big Can't um, say i've ever understood it, it it's an odd thing the idea of uh you know uh, traveling a few thousand miles um and then sitting down and playing runescape at, at a computer at runefest but that's what they want to do yeah, like loads of people want to get their big achievements their 99s their kind of completionist capes at runefest get something signed by me um drink from the horn <laughs> it's all good uh it's a it's a, an amazing experience it really is it, it sounds a fantastic experience and you know in in the wise words of one of my friends who went on to go and work for bandai namco and ea and who used to organize events is that they said the process of organizing an event is the nearest thing that non-game developer will get to understanding what it's like to make a game and having run some business conferences myself i can sympathize deeply with that terror that six week out terror honestly ugh, horrible feeling but talking about something again in terms of the engagement so you, you were mentioning it earlier as well a little bit about the sort of the democratic engagement so um old school runescape um you know very recently uh, in fact just won a bafta uh, which is fantastic news um and obviously at, at the moment it's, a, it's available on mobile devices and, and 
bringing RuneScape out to a wider audience. But one of the you know key elements of it has been that kind of democratic involvement in the development of the game, which, to my understanding, so, you know, key updates have to be approved by the majority of the community um, for them to actually pass through. So it's giving people an opportunity to have a much sort of deeper say in the way they're making a game. What made the company go in that direction with old school RuneScape, and what kind of impact has that had as well upon the way that you develop both that game and just RuneScape more in general? Well, um, yeah, it just made so much sense at the time. I mean, for a lot of people, RuneScape is um, a moment in their lives. Um, There was there's a kind of a golden period when they loved and played RuneScape, and uh, for a lot of people, that was that was kind of well. 10 years ago you know mm-hmm. 15 years ago um and so there was there was a lot of people obviously with the game is modernized oh sorry runescape 3 had modernized in a certain way but there were still those people who who just had a little glow for that t- period of time and um yeah the, i mean we tell the story quite a bit but it's it's still good to tell it which is the, you know that we found a a tape in the back of our server room dusty tape that just happened to have um in stasis you know an old version of runescape you know this um from what a lot of players consider to be the pure period where you know that a lot of the mechanics that are in there now weren't there it was stripped back pared back version um and so we decided to poll it and that really kind of set the tone for old school runescape we decided on our website we polled whether or not we should bring back this server this old school runescape and kind of the majority spoke and said that they would really want it and that set the tone that set the contract with the player base we decided to keep that contract going which was we, we would um preserve the sanctity the, the 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 purity as i said of old school runescape by polling everything and it's crazy i mean it's it, the idea of every i mean it's not even substantive changes we're talking like bugs as well um almost to that degree every every change is polled to the player base and 75 percent have to have to agree to it um at the time, that meant the like you know very little content got added, but that was that was good because um, that's what the players wanted. They were, you know, the, um, the king's watch on the wall, protecting against you know anything coming into the game that they didn't want. So they, they the, the community felt like gatekeepers. Did you just get an obligatory Game of Thrones reference in there? Um, trying to be topical. He didn't even say it right. <laughs> it's the Night's Watch. Oh, sorry. The King's Watch. Yeah, it's oh. embarrassing. Uh, I don't know. What, the, the Grey Walkers. Stop well, the Grey Walkers. We had coming. Before them, so it's fine. <laughs> you, if you want to call it the King's Watch, that's fine. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I feel ashamed. Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just uh, weighing in on that. There's, there's this uh, a very odd thing um, as a games designer when you're dealing with a, a veteran product, um, which is what I always say see as healthy modernization versus good games design versus the comfort blanket. So RuneScape um, for a lot of people. It, it is this comfort blanket. It's, uh, you know, I instinctively understand how RuneScape works, what I need to do, where I need to go. And I know that because I'm a veteran player and I've been playing for six or seven years. Um, and then there is the, the concepts of healthy modernization. What is the rest of the games industry doing? How are games working in this way? What does a modern um, new player expect from a product like this? And then that's versus what what you might call good games design, where um, there are things that we've learned as games designers about the way that you should do a combat system or you should do um, the UI on your game or ways that you talk to your player. Now, the comfort blanket is at odds with healthy modernization and good games design. Because if I've played a game for six or seven years, I don't care whether or not it is 
um, quote unquote goods games design. It is how it is the, my game. It's how I understand it. It's how it works. It's my comfort blanket. So the more changes you make to that comfort blanket under the guise of good games design and healthy modernization, the less comfortable that blanket becomes because I'm not. I don't instinctively understand this game anymore. So many of our players take a year out. That's unheard of in the rest of the games industry, the concept that I might stop playing a game for a year and then come back and you know pick up where I left off. The more changes that you make to your experience, the more difficult that is to do. And so whilst our um, aims and the big changes that we made to the games around monetization or the combat system overhaul or... Um, microtransactions or um, new front-end UI, all of those things, they're very, very good reasons why you would do those, those things, but they're uncomfortable to people that have that comfort blanket vibe. So old school was all about saying, let's give you, when you close your eyes and you think about RuneScape, it's probably that little snapshot from 2000 and seven or whatever which is the ultimate version of runescape for a certain number of people let's just give you that let's forget about modernization and and, and quote unquote good games design and just give you that thing that you consider to be your little baby um, and if you're going to do that then you have to be aware that any minute change that you might make to that experience can have that um, negative feeling that uncomfortable blanket vibe that I was talking about earlier um, so what's the best way to avoid that well then you let the people who are playing it decide for you whether or not it's the right thing to do and that's ultimate player control that, that's uh, that's the ultimate level of empowerment that you could possibly give to a player the idea that we could be working on something for six months and then just say you tell us whether or not we should we should add it to the game um, that's very very brave thing to do but if you're going to have a living game if you want a truly living game you know if you want a game that's got that evergreen vibe you know endless if you want to create a live um, evolving world if you want to give them meaningful social experiences and you want to give them those crazy out of the you know out of game experiences with things like runefest if you want all those things to work then you have to make sure you've got a customer base that are truly, truly committed to your game. And with old school, the way we do that is by letting them decide every single thing that we do. But that's that's not to say it's not progressive. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, you could easily get the impression then that it's um, just going to stay how it is. Then just going to stick around. Yeah. Uh, what what the team have got really good at is understanding um, where the gaps in the game are, where the um, the areas the players have always wanted to go, but were, you know they were promised it, but never got to cross the walls into that city that they mm -hmm. had been talked about in, in law, that kind of thing. So while it comes from a certain degree of conservatism, there's still things being added, and that's to be honest, where like one of its greatest, um, uh, I want to say USP, but one of its greatest um, identities is is the esports element. Yes, like the people <clears throat> who have been playing this for so long have got so good at it. So why not give them the forum in which they can show that off? Mm. And so um, you know we've got things like Dead Man, um, uh, which is you know kind of esports esque, uh, play all players against each other, last man standing, um, and uh, yeah, and yeah, okay, yeah, that. Um, the other thing. 
<clears throat> the other thing that's worthwhile saying as well is that a lot of those things came from player ideas. So the little tournaments that we've run, the big tournaments that we've run, things like uh, the Iron Man modes that we have in the game, those have come from player suggestions or from popular YouTube channels or, you know, whatever, um, that we have said, do you know what? There's this thing that the players are suddenly really excited about. Let's latch onto it. Now, if it's exciting them, then it should excite us as well. So all of those kind of big innovations that have happened uh, even under the layers of approval and things like that, they've all come from um, the players, and that that's a that's a great thing. That's fantastic, yeah. And I, I think the um, idea of good game design versus healthy modernization versus comfort blanket—it's essentially the game designer's combat triangle, right? You know, trying to trying to balance all of those things out, which is fantastic. But so into my final question for you, so. You know, RuneScape's obviously been going for the best part of two decades now, uh, shows no sign of letting up. What does the future hold for the game? And what does the future hold for Jagex 2? It's always interesting when I talk about the future. This is the point where Rich stands up, you see, where our, our PR guy goes, oh, you can, you can't talk about these things. Dave and I have got big mouths and we love talking. We're obsessed with the sound of our own voices. So <laughs> we, yeah, we, we tell you anything. Um, but I think um, number one thing is... Um, we change as our players change. So the whole response to old school on mobile is about us going, do you know what? Our players' lives are changing. They're less, lots of our players are, have grown up, they've got families, they're, maybe they're just not in an environment where sitting down in front of their PC for a, a few hours is part of their lives anymore. But we know that they want to stay connected to RuneScape. We know that they want to be part of that world. So what other ways can we give that to them? Well, taking RuneScape on a mobile device is one of them. Another thing might be, okay, well, let's do something with our brand. You know, we have a fantastic world, thousands of years worth of storytelling. Wouldn't it be cool to do something else within that world? Why not um, go out of genre? Why not, um, you know, move away from MMORPGs in terms of the stuff that we're making and make some other games? Uh, would, it, would it be interesting if we started doing things that weren't about RuneScape? You know, we've got a huge amount of experience internally now doing sort of action rpg orientated things wouldn't it be fun if we started experimenting in that space um <clears throat> the mobile market is very interesting for us obviously we've just started playing around with uh, old school and you know won a bafta and we're doing the same kind of things with um with runescape as well but there's lots of interesting stuff that you could be doing with your brand um, via a mobile device, um, different sorts of mobile games, different sorts of experiences that you can give to your players so that they still feel part of that RuneScape ecosystem without necessarily having to, you know, park themselves in front of their PC for a few hours. Um, probably worth noting, obviously, that in a couple of years we hit 20 as well. Yeah. Yeah, so we should probably do something about that. You know, yeah. like, we'll probably celebrate it in some way. Uh, yeah. So that's going to be big. We're going to go big with that one. That, that, that'll be, uh, that'll be something to look forward to 20 year anniversary what we're going to do with that you know i'm I'm even looking around at you know board games we're all doing all sorts of different things that we could be doing in the space of uh you know finding different ways of giving people a slice of the high fantasy storytelling that runescape has in, in, via different mediums um that that's the stuff that i'm looking forward to in the future 
That's it. And I'm, I'm assuming that for the 20th birthday, it's going to be a hell of a time at RuneFest as well. So it's, it's an important one for everyone to put in the diaries as soon as possible. But thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us on the podcast today, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No worries. So thank you so much to both Mark and Dave for giving their time to talk to us a little bit about RuneScape. But that's it for this week's show and for this particular episode of the 30 Years of Play podcast. Remember, if you want to keep up to date with the 30 Years of Play podcast, there are a number of different ways that you can do so. If you want to listen to the podcast on your favourite platform, you can check it out on SoundCloud, on Acast, on iTunes and on Spotify. If you search for it on any of those places through 30 Years of Play, you'll find us. And if you could leave us a lovely review and a five-star rating, it'll help more people to find the podcast as well. If you want to find 30 Years of Play on social media, where we're going to be talking about everything that we're up to across the campaign, you can use hashtag 30 years of play and our at tag at 30 years of play to get some more information and finally if you want to go and check out our website as well you can go to www.30yearsofplay.uk to find out all about the campaign which is being run to celebrate yuki's 30th birthday that's it from me for this particular episode though i hope you enjoyed it and we'll catch you again soon for another great look at a great british video game